epic migration to Australia began in the 1800s with significant numbers arriving during Australia's gold rush. There was further immigration in the years between the two world wars as the Ottoman Empire expelled Greeks from Turkey. However, the biggest influx occurred in the 1970s. Thousands of Greeks arrived over this time simply seeking better economic opportunity. Australia, what I didn't know as I was prepping for this show, has the third largest Greek diaspora in the world. And as of a few years ago, half of that Greek population lives in the state of Victoria. Many have gone on to lead successful and prosperous lives while holding true to Greek customs and traditions. Today's guest, well, he doesn't live in Victoria, he certainly represents what to me is very much what the Greeks who left for greater economic opportunity were actually looking to leave in their progeny. His name is Athen Cassiotis. He is a strategist, an international speaker. He's a coach, a mentor, a consultant, and I have had the good pleasure of being on his podcast. And it is a pleasure for me to welcome from New York to Sydney, Australia, with a beautiful shot of that wonderful opera house behind us, to welcome Ethan to the show. Ethan, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you so much, Chuck. Great introduction and looking forward to, yeah, providing a lot of value for everyone uh, listening. Well, I appreciate that. And I think when you and I represent, even though we are on opposite sides of the world, our stories are not that different and that someone in our lineage picked up, went thousands of miles into an unknown place, laid down their roots, started a family and went about their business. And even though I'm in the US and you're Australia, where did your story of the Greek diaspora actually begin? Yeah, um, love that. And uh, so, yeah, my grandparents uh, came from Greece on both sides of the family. Everyone was Greek. They moved after the war, World War II, and came down and they um, didn't, a lot of them came to Melbourne and Victoria, like you said, but there are a lot of Greeks in a lot of other cities and states. Um, so I'm in Sydney now, but I actually grew up in Adelaide. So my grandparents moved to Adelaide in South Australia, which is like a, a smaller capital city. Um, and wine country, if I remember. Yes, it's got the best red wines um, in there, the, the, yeah, the regions, the Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, if you want to get a Shiraz, very world famous for there with the, uh, yeah, the way the weather is and everything. So definitely recommend it. Um, and so, yeah, and they're very close to the city as well. So definitely recommend Adelaide. Um, so, yeah, they came down to Adelaide. Um, and then, you know, obviously my parents were born soon after that. Um, so, you know, a lot of the Greek values were definitely passed down to my parents, you know, speaking Greek. Um, you know, my mom ended up becoming a Greek teacher as well. Uh, both my parents were teachers. So my dad was sort of more the maths, physics, chem type thing. And my mom, uh, Greek and, and some geography and things like that. So a bit of a, a different differentiation there. And then obviously I was born um, later. And then, you know, from a young age, I believe Greek was my, actually my first language because I was, you know, being left with my grandmother or grandmother's you know, to, to help raise me when my parents were working and things like that. And, and when I actually went to preschool, I actually had to learn English. Um, so, you know, putting a lot of those cultures and the language, you know, I was put through Greek school all the way from a young age till I was 18 years old. Um, so I can speak fluent Greek still, which, you know, second generations, not everybody um, has that benefit, but that's, you know, putting that culture in to make sure that we can do it. And then, you know, from there, if, if I fast forward a little bit, I, um, you know, was going through school, I didn't enjoy it towards the end that much and ended up dropping out of year 12, my final year. And my, um, 
my parents being high school teachers, you can imagine they were not very happy with that. <laughs> no. What else you got, Ethan? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so they, <laughs> exactly. So they're like, we're, we're going to try and get you into university a different way through this other course. But um, that didn't happen. Um, so I ended up um, you know, going through sort of like a traineeship agency. To, and I got a couple of job offers when I was 18. And one was in a, a steel company. Um, uh, and then the other one was an environmental company. And, you know, by fate, um, whatever you call it, um, you know, I got the job at the environmental company and yeah, started from the bottom, um, you know, in just a simple sales admin role um, and, you know, worked my way up. But I I'd quickly, you know, um, worked my way up quite quickly. And I, if I backtrack slightly, my parents always gave me a lot of different experiences. So I, I was learning computers, even though I'm quite older, from about six years old when the original Windows before, you know, Windows 3.1 was out. Um, so I was always quite good with tech, which was, was great. Um, so I started to really change things. So I um, helped implement the new computer systems, SAP, which is one of the biggest, you know, systems in the world. Um, I, you know, the, the IT guy left after six months and I took over all major reporting for two Australian states for the business. Um, and I was only just turned 19 years old, right, in the business. And then, you know, did a lot of cool things there. So I was able to showcase, I guess, my knowledge and talents in different ways, um, instead of going the standard route of university and, and, and doing it later. So it was good to learn on the job. And then I guess if we fast forward a little bit, doing all those cool things, um, you know, wanting to get into sales, but they liked what I was doing in the office. So then the head office in Sydney actually tapped me on the shoulder five and a half years later and said, we want you to move to Sydney to be the middleman with all of our national accounts and our national business development department. I thought, well, why not? Like I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I had a couple of cousins in Sydney. So, you know, let's make the move and, and see where it takes me. And I've uh, been at Sydney for over 10 years now. And it's it's been a great journey and a lot of um, interesting challenges in that journey as well. So then I, you know, a lot of people, you know, in the corporate sense, you would see this as well, Chuck. A lot of people still talk about, you know, what degree have you done? What have you done here? As in, you know, what's your thing? And I, I learned on the job. So um, I was like, okay, I need to learn more about business. And I realized I could get into doing an MBA on my experience. Over eight years experience, I could get into the university and did the first four subjects. And as long as I got good grades, I could continue. Um, and, you know, it wasn't always easy for me. Like my dad told me I would never be able to study because I used to do whole semester assignments in one night. Um, my teachers told me I wouldn't be successful, right? Uh, in year 12 or my final year because I dropped out and everything like that. So, you know, even when I moved to Sydney, my dad said, you won't last six months, you'll be back, right? So, you know, interesting the way my dad, the old school way of thinking sometimes is they sort of put you down, um, whether it's their own limitations, of course, or whether it's sometimes to get performance out of you. So I, I you know, I chose to prove the wrong. Some people might, you know, choose to believe it. Um, and well, I, you know, take, I, I take it, Ethan, this is not unusual. And, and this cuts across many cultures. To some people, it's defeating. To others, it's defining because I've seen it work both ways. In your case, as you thought about that, putting me down, hey, what's the big deal? I have neither had the opportunity to either prove or to fail. What the heck, what did it do for you? How did you feel in that space? Yeah, it's at the time, it's obviously not nice. It's like, who are you to tell me, you know, what I can and can't do, right. um, you know, and um, but then, you know, as I said, I always used it at fire and, I, and I've played a lot of sport from a young age. I've, you know, won a lot of championships in soccer or football, depending on where you are in the world, but soccer <laughs> as we call it in our countries, um, as well as tennis, won many championships there. So I guess, you know, having that sport background in me, you know, 
you know, always made me to keep pushing forward. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you lose a point or a game, you know, you keep moving back or you get a goal scored against you. You've got to keep going no matter what. Um, and, you know, they always had that belief um, in myself, um, in my own abilities, as well as the team, depending on what it was. So I think that helped me through those times. It's like, okay, well, if, you know, if that's the case, I'm just going to keep moving forward. And, you know, as I learn more now, as we get older and I've, you know, learning NLP and how we work as humans and our mindset, you know, I realize that it's all just projections a lot of the time about the person, you know, it's the, it's their own necessary limitation that they wouldn't be able to do those things necessarily. Um, so they're, they're projecting it onto me. So now that I realize that it's okay, you know, um, and that's probably a lesson for everybody, right? Is if anybody ever tells you, you can't do something, it's normally that person's shortcomings or their beliefs that's inhibiting them to do it. So in the end, we're the one that chooses, you know, our fate. And if we live at cause, then, you know, we can really create the life that we want. We are the creators of everything, all the successes and all the challenges in our life. Yeah, well, when you accepted that position, though, you were vaulted into an industry that you otherwise wouldn't have known. What did it feel like as the entrance into this place you weren't quite aware? Tell us about the, 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 the industry and how you felt in your emergence of, of overcoming any potential struggles. Yeah, the waste management industry, waste and recycling was obviously quite new to me. And, you know, a lot of people, we don't really get taught a lot about waste and recycling at home. It's like, you've got a couple of bins, you put these things in there um, and that's about it, right? So um, it was actually quite interesting. Like, uh, you know, I'm always like learning new things. So it was a whole thing. And, and the beautiful thing about Adelaide was that we did pretty much all of the range of services in-house in the business. It wasn't subcontracted out. You know, we, we had medical confidential waste we had you know normal general and different types of recyclables and i had a lab to look at chemicals like there was a vast range on the same site so we had our main like administration building but we had all these other areas and we could go and visit them and learn about them so i was very fortunate i guess to be in that particular state where we had that control and that knowledge and it was very interesting and you know i realized that um, there's much more than just putting something in a bin, um, you know, materials, you know, are worth money, right? And depending on what it is, you know, because we want to be able to, to reuse things, recycle them, because we don't have infinite resources on this earth, right? It's like, you know, with mobile phones now, they're asking to put mobile phones back in or certain devices, because certain elements of those phones, they're, they're limited, you know, in the, um, in the earth. So um, starting to become aware of these things and going, okay, well, how do we help businesses? And a lot of the time, it's also linked to costs. So general waste is normally the most expensive, right? Where it just goes to, to landfill, um, to a dump or whatever you want to call it. Whereas the recyclables are a lot cheaper as well. So if you can work out, okay, what are these people doing? Then you can actually not only do something better for the environment, but it's also cost saving at the same time. So it's a, it's a win-win really for you know, the world as well as you know, for the businesses and the people you work for. And yeah, just kept building it up from there and looking at how, you know, I could improve the business, you know, with my knowledge and um, getting into learning different customers, because even different customers, you know, different businesses have different waste profiles. Are they a food business, you know, or not? Are they a manufacturing type business? So there's all these other interesting intricacies. And then it's about finding solutions and whether that's locally in your state, whether that's within your country, whether that's even overseas, you know, for solutions to help with their supply chain and materials. So very interesting industry that the more you get into it, the more you understand that at the same time. 
Yeah, and I appreciate that because what's interesting is one looks at Ethan's profile, you immediately are struck by a couple observations. One is this is someone who gives a lot of thought to things, i.e. the strategic thinker, but also has worked in an industry where the thoughts are great, but you had to be able to execute on the proposition of how to solve those problems. Because it seems to me, Ethan, your evolution, your own transformation was certainly embedded in the waste management industry, but now you've created your own business, whether you learned it from waste management or not. Tell us about all of those events that led you to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So um, if I pick up from doing my MBA towards the end of my time um, there at Veolia, then I you know, did most of the core subjects. And in my final year, if we talk about struggle, um, there was a change of management and I was put under a lot of stress as well in my final year, extreme amounts. And um, you know, I wasn't sleeping well, all these things. And but you know, I was the type of person that I'm not going to break, right? Um, you know, in these stress things where many people would, right? So I, my, you know, I think my stress threshold is actually quite high now because I stuck out for that year. But after that year, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do now? And I was like, you know, I I don't really want to work for a company anymore. I want to do my own thing where I can, you know, control the narrative, control the situation and make, I guess, more of a difference, um, you know, with my knowledge without having to go through management levels. So after 10 and a half years, I created my first business, uh, Waste Management Consulting, which was uh, over five years ago now that I founded that and basically took all my knowledge um, that I'd done over those 10 and a half years um, to help the other side of the coin now. So obviously we were servicing big clients and now it was like, okay, I want to now help those big clients. So I'd helped, you know, do things for the Department of Defense and a lot of other big, you know, clients, right, uh, when I was there. And then, um, you know, I think it's the power of relationships as well, but, you know, did some personal development at the start and then, um, you know, reached out to somebody from Westwood, which is the biggest shopping center group. And I just said, hey, I know your tender's coming up and I've worked on a lot of big tenders on, on set, you know, analyzing them from the market when, um, you know, like whatever company would send it out to all the waste companies. And so I knew the commercials very well, right, of how the industry works. So it's like, well, I can actually give these businesses my knowledge and give them like the inside scoop so they get the best deal. Because most people don't understand the commercial drivers, right, of waste management and how to do it, how to, you know, reduce your cost you know, at the time as well as overtime um, and get the best results. So I went to them and um, they were about to go live. And then basically um, they said, you know, I provided some value. I said, let me just look at it. I showed them and I said, listen, there's about these 20 things that you could improve. And like, yeah, you're right, Ethan, we need you in here. And that was my first big client. Um, you know, they, they spend about 25 million a year on waste a year. And I was the smarts behind them to save them over 15%, which is a fair bit, right? Um, on that. And then work with the biggest, one of the top two shopping centers, Coles, and I still work with Kmart and Target today, um, you know, over three years with them, which I know are big in the US as well. And, you know, doing a lot of cool stuff, not just with their tenders to get their pricing right, but also with, you know, waste auditing, seeing what's in the actual bins to see how we can recycle more, um, you know, analytical reporting systems. How can we analyze it to really optimize everything the best way? So we divert as much away from landfill, recycle more, save money, all these different commercial elements. So, you know, basically not allowing the businesses to get the wool pulled over their eyes, which mostly happens because they don't understand it. So I was like, you know, their waste specialist or, you know, their waste strategist where they can come to me and I, you know, know all the people in the businesses and I'm like, 
you can't, you know, you can't BS me basically, right? Um, you know, in these meetings. Um, so the waste companies didn't really like me, of course, um, because I was telling them that. But at the same time, these other businesses did, and there was a, there was room for me. And and then um, yeah, just kept building it from there. And you know, from that time, I was like, people would come to me. You talk about you know, being me and the strategist, and say, Ethan, what do you think about this? And I would say, oh, why don't you do one, two, three, four, five, like in the business? Like, oh, this is awesome. Um, so, you know, so I've got a very good memory, and I'm very good at you know linking things, putting pieces together, seeing the, the patterns. Um, and I was like, I've got to create a business out of this um, because, you know, it comes naturally to me. And that's where, you know, my business coaching mentoring business was born after that, which I still do as well today. I've been over two and a half years or so now that I do that where I help businesses at an early stage, you know, to grow. And, you know, that's sort of where I'm in my element. So I see the waste management industry I'm still doing, it's helped my knowledge and then created my first business. But I think really business in general and understanding the different drivers and then me being able to relay that and help strategize and help people implement in their businesses is like where now the journey has taken me. Um, and it's, it's been a great journey. A lot of challenges, of course, along the way, but it's, it's been very great. Well, it seems the common thread then, whether you have someone from your industry, mine, it doesn't matter. Your show is called Business Growth. To those who are listening in, and many are budding entrepreneurs, they want to figure out, hey, they want to hear from guys like us. Maybe we have some insight we can, we can proffer. In the case of the business growth, be it whatever business you have consulted with, give us at least three common elements or three elements of which you can ascribe success irrespective of the industry. Yeah, great one, Chuck. And what I would say is initially, like, what problem are you solving, right? I think is the biggest one. You're not just selling products and services, whatever it is in your business. It's you're solving a particular problem. And normally, the bigger the problem, um, you know, the bigger the business can be or the bigger you can charge and things like that as well. So really understand the problem you solve, especially from the customer, the client perspective. Um, because when you're, when you're selling, when you're, you know, being able to show your value, that's really important for people. Because, you know, there's probably, unless you're a very unique unicorn type business, there's probably a lot of other businesses that do similar things, right? So how are you different, right? What problem are you solving? And how are you different from others? And how can you articulate that difference? And a lot of the time, it's how you solve that problem um, you know, you know, alongside what you offer on how you can be different. So that's really important. So that real strategy at the start, are you on the right path with what you're offering? Does it need to change a little bit or how you articulate that in terms of the problem being solved can be really important as a quick, you know, are you going in the right direction or do we need to shift slightly initially? And then obviously a lot of the time, you know, it's about growth, right? Um, in any business, we need to continue to grow um, and, and, you know, make money in the business to support ourselves, to support our staff, you know, and provide more value to help more people and businesses. So I think, you know, obviously sales and marketing is big. So, um, you know, what methods do you have to be able to bring new people into your network, into your leads, you know, generation to then take them as clients? So do you have, you know, some sort of process or multiple processes um, to be able to do that? Um, because as much as, referrals are a great strategy. They, they build a lot of trust very quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's risky to just build a business just off referrals because what happens if the referrals just dry up, right? All of a sudden. So I think having that other strategies outside of that is important, but still bring referral strategies in, of course. Um, I think the biggest one that I see in any business, you know, with an entrepreneur is implementation, right? Is a lot of the time, 
we can say we're going to do something, but a lot of time it's like, oh, I got too busy. I was doing this stuff. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. And then things just escalate, right? Um, over time. And you realize it takes a while to do things. And I think, you know, in, in my journey, um, I have, co- you know, multiple coaches and mentors today and, and I'll continue to do that. And throughout my journey, they have been the real differentiating factor for me, for my success. Because I think, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And yes, we can do courses, whether you've done an MBA or not, whether you've, you know, done any other courses or you learn from people. Most of the time, the person that has certain knowledge, whether it's in business, whether it's about mindset, whatever it is, they are there to help us to get us there quicker. You know, do you want to take 10 years to get to you want to be? Or do you want to hire coaches and mentors to get you there in three years, right? So, you know, a lot of the time we want to compress time. So I would say investing, find coaches and mentors that you resonate with in the areas of business or mindset, whatever it is that you need help with. And you can have multiple, right? That do different things, of course, like I do. Find them, learn from them, you know, and then they also not only give you the strategies, but keep you accountable. I think that's the biggest thing because um, when we have accountability there, we take the action and all of a sudden we can get exponential growth and, you know, almost guarantee our success, um, you know, if we get the right coaches and mentors. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one for many who come into entrepreneurship. They don't think of the fact that, hey, maybe I should have my own board of directors before I even hire one peop- one person, because we think of having this advisory board of directors, so to speak, that that has to be for Apple or, or Target, when in fact, every entrepreneur, I think you would encourage, get those mentors, call them your board, assign a chairman, because what I have found, and I wonder your opinion on this, some people are better at being held accountable by somebody else over trying to hold themselves accountable. Have you found that? Definitely. I, um, I had to do the uh, um, analysis, right? The research is part of my MBA on this. So I, I did the research and basically, if we are just trying to hold ourselves accountable, we've got about a 20% chance of getting that done, right? Which is pretty low. And that's why a lot of people take a while to do things. Whereas if we have somebody there, you know, um, likely, you know, investing in them. And we're also having regular meetings with them, right? The chance of us completing those things is 90%, right? Right. Yeah. What a difference, right? So, you know, that's the power of having those people around us. So you can just imagine that like, you know, that's, you know, four and a half times, right? The, the speed of, of what it is there. Just, you know, you do the multiples there about how much quicker you can do things and are you working on the right things at the same time? So it's a two-pronged approach because um, you can be on emails for eight hours a day and do nothing right. or, you know, you can do strategic tasks that get you there quicker as well. But yeah, the accountability is massive um, because if you're having that meeting every week or two and it's like, hey, what did you do with this stuff? And you're like, I, I did these, but I didn't get to that. Why? And then you can explore it. And then you want to be like, okay, I don't want to go to the next meeting without doing that other part that maybe I didn't get to. And then all of a sudden you start to build this amazing um, yeah, relationship that really helps us to grow and, and take action. Yeah. And I want to just uh, in getting close to the conclusion with you and the positioning of the growth of Ethan, the you are here now, you're helping a lot of people, be it in Australia or given COVID, we don't have any distance. How do you position yourself now? Let's start there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, great one. And, you know, I think we all have a personal brand, right? So we need to be able to build that personal brand, whether we know it or not, like a social media profile is still a personal brand, right? So, you know, how are you positioning yourself online? So for me, you know, it starts at social media, but it's like, okay, 
I'm building this brand about, I do multiple things. So yes, you can have a website, right? And showcase these things. So people need to know what I'm doing. So I've got my consulting business, right? I've got my coaching and mentoring business. I do international speaking. I've sp spoken in LA before um, and got my podcast. So it's like, okay, I need to build a lot of authority. And I think that's what everybody should be doing is how do we become an authority in our industry, in our space and what we do so that we can stand out from everybody. So I've been doing a lot of things to build my authority over time so that people see me consistently online and they're like, okay, Ethan knows his stuff. If I think about business growth or whatever else it is there, um, you know, I'll come to Ethan, right? So there's a lot of big positioning there and I'm making sure that I put myself out there. I'm speaking while I'm doing my own events, right? You know, whether it's at home, you know, at right now um, in the virtual sense, and then, you know, look at doing them, um, you know, in person soon as well, right? That's my plan to, to reach more people, um, you know, because I think people are, itching to get out. Um, so I'm itching to, to do it as well. So I'm looking forward to doing that and, and positioning myself really as, you know, one of the top leaders in the world. That's the plan, right? For me is on business to help people from an early stage to a, you know, a later stage in business. Um, you know, initially, you know, COVID's opened us globally. Now I have clients all over the world at the moment um, and then really build that out and, and then be able to travel and, and be able to speak that all over the world. Because I think the more we speak, like on podcasts like this, Chuck, as you would know, we just get better at it. And then the more we do it, it just becomes natural. And then we can just help more people at the same time. Yeah, indeed. And where, where do we find you, Ethan? Yeah, so um, my website is ethancassiotis.com. So A-T-H-I-N-C-A-S-S-I-O-T-I-S.com. Um, otherwise, social media, you know, Facebook, I'm big on there. You can hopefully add me on my personal profile um, as well as LinkedIn, massive on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I've got the other platforms like Instagram as well. But yeah, definitely check me out. I've got a good Facebook group as well um, where you can see on my profile where you can, um, yeah, check out a lot of free um topics and things that I provide to everybody there. Otherwise, yeah, reach out to me, love to connect um, and see, you know, how we can help each other. Yeah. And on LinkedIn as well. I always, I always go to the LinkedIn profiles. That's where I live. I, I don't even know we can follow Chuck Garcia and a climb to the top on Instagram and all the other ones. Our world, particularly the institutional world, your world of Kmart and all of those companies, LinkedIn is our social media gathering or not, not that, hey, look at me, here's what I'm having for dinner, but here's what I'm doing and here's where I can be of assistance. And I think that's what I like about your LinkedIn profile. It does a very good job of explaining you as the strategic thinker, you as the authority, and it comes out beautifully. And I hope for anyone who is listening, check it out. It's a very cool business. It's not something we think about, but what Ethan has demonstrated is the things that make you successful cut across so many different ways. There are common elements to what we do to help achieve success, whether you are in the way management business or you're building an app always worth looking Ethan up so Ethan I want to thank you 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 have also uh you you mark a milestone for a climb to the top this is our 100th show so it is a pleasure to have you from I don't know 10,000 I don't know what's the distance of U.S. to Australia 10 20,000 miles I don't even know 14 time zones <laughs> so definitely Right. It's wonderful to have you join us with all of the wonderful guests that we've had. You definitely are in the farthest part of the planet. So what a wonderful thing to be able to connect with all of us here. Yeah, thank you so much, Chuck. It's been a pleasure to connect um, and yeah, just provide a lot of value where I can to all your, your listeners. And uh, you do an amazing thing, Chuck. Grateful to be in episode 100. I'm sure you're just going to be many more hundreds of episodes coming up, mate, and you'll continue your success as well. Well, I appreciate that. You know, our brand is, you know, book and TV and all the other things that we want to do in order to bring our our 
the good work that we try to do every day to the world, but it's guys like you that really help us understand that we're all each other's teachers. There's always something to learn from each other. And I think that's the most humble part of, of whatever successes we can achieve is knowing that we're all in this together. Communication lines are wide open. And if we can help you or our friends, we're here to do it. So you have listened to Chuck Garcia on a climb to the top stories of transformation. As always, thank you everybody for tuning in. We appreciate that. You can see us on YouTube or on my website, chuckgarcia.com. You can hear us on Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. We are delight, delighted and grateful to all of our partners for bringing our, our, our voice to the world as well. And Ethan from New York to Sydney, Australia, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Chuck. Much appreciated. Okay. And we are signing off here and good night to our listeners. Thank you every week for tuning in. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.